We're going to do a character study this morning, and what I would like to do in the format of our study this morning, we're going to read the book of of Ruth. We're not going to read all of it, but I'm going to read several passages, and I'm going to comment and extrapolate things out of that passage, and that'll be our our, uh, message for this morning. Uh, Ruth is an interesting character, an interesting uh, group of characters, an interesting event we find in the Bible. First off, to kind of put it in a time period, if you remember your Old Testament history, Joseph and Jacob and his brothers were in Egypt, and Joseph with Potiphar's wife, if you remember that story with Joseph and Potiphar's wife, Joseph became second hand to Pharaoh, had a, Pharaoh had a dream, the dream was seven fat calves followed by seven skinny calves, and that was the famine to come in the land, and Joseph said, you've got to save up the grain, you've got to save up because there's going to come a famine in the land. And if you remember that, the, the, uh, the Pharaoh put Joseph over all those things to, to see that that work be done. And if you remember, as time progressed, the children of Israel grew so much that they were overtaken the Egyptians. And, and all of a sudden, we comes onto the scene is Moses. And Moses is there to, to save the, God's people. And, and Moses goes to the Pharaoh and says, listen, God wants me to take our people away from you. And, and the Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And then the ten plagues happen. And they... Ultimately, the, the people are released, and then there's the chariots that follow the guys, and they cross on dry land on the Red Sea, right? Moses leads the people away from Egyptian bondage. Really, God does through Moses, but the people are now saved. Moses goes to Mount Sinai, receives the laws, the, old, uh, the, the commandments we find in the Old Testament. The people wander around. Remember the story of, of the 12 spies that went into the promised land, the land that flowed with milk and honey that God had promised His people and said, this is the land I'm going to give you. They send in 12 spies. Two spies come back and say, it's going to be good. God said, we can have it. We can take it. Jacob, uh, Joshua and Caleb. The other 10 spies said, no, we can't take it. You remember that story? Remember where we're at in history? Well, there was a time period of when judges ruled the people. Or when judges really, they set apart the things, the tedious things that, that happened. They were taking the old law and making sure that people were doing what they were supposed to do per the law that God had given Moses on Mount Sinai. That's when we find this story of Ruth. Ruth 1.1 says, Now it came to pass in the days that judges ruled. Now people were still doing what was right in their own eyes. They were still making their own decisions, but judges were ruling them to kind of keep the ordinances, the laws that God had given we find at the end of Ruth, when we get there, we'll see that it's kind of a transitional book from the judges' time period to the time period of the kings. You remember the nation was divided. We, the Israel said, we want a king. And the prophet said, you don't want a king. And they ultimately got a king. God gave them a king. If you remember the main kings, which was Saul, David, Solomon. This book is really right at the end of Judges, at the beginning of the kings of Israel. That's where we find Ruth. So I'd like to start off by reading the first few verses in Ruth chapter 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Mahon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem and Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there, and Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left alone with her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab, and the name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth, and they dwelled there about ten years. Mahon and Chilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. And you ask, Michael, what, how in the world is this a love story? Three people just died. 
We're going to get there. There's a famine in the land, and this family, uh, Elimelech and his wife Naomi and their two sons, Mahon and Chilion, decide to leave God's land and go to the land of the Moabites. If you don't know where the Moabite land is, you kind of see Bethlehem atop left. It's about 60 miles away, but it's the land of the Moabites. All right? Land of the Moabites. And they left, and when they got there, Elimelech had died. He died. We don't know why, but he died. So Naomi is now a widow. Her spouse, her loved one, had just died. Not only that, things got a little better. Her sons married women, and then ten years later, her sons die. Very tragic situation we find Naomi in. Very sad. And I imagine, one, it's sad to lose your spouse. I would imagine that would be very difficult. But not only that, to lose your, your children. How awful would that be to lose your husband or your spouse and your children? That would be awful. Something hard to go through. And I know that tragedy strikes in all aspects of life. But that would be a difficult thing to go through. That would be terrible. And I want to look at her response and what happens in this story. You know, tragedy strikes us each and every day, but how do we deal with that tragedy? How do we deal with that situation? Now, I've studied with guys who said, you know, I can't believe in God because I've seen things in Afghanistan when he served in the military that he had never thought a God would allow. How sad is that? That he's seen things that people have done that was awful. And he can't believe in God because a God wouldn't allow those things to happen. Now, I want to put before you that God's providence always isn't positive. Sometimes God's providence happens in tragedy. Let me tell you the greatest example I can show you of that. Jesus Christ down on the cross, a man murdered for your sins. God's providence shows sometimes in negativity, doesn't it? Your sins put him on the cross, right? That's God's providence. It wasn't pretty. And sometimes God's providence isn't pretty, isn't what we want or what we feel is, is very good. Sometimes it's somebody getting murdered for you. Not a very pretty sight. God's providence isn't always positive. Sometimes it's negative. And I know it's hard to see it now. We haven't studied the whole book or looked at the whole situation, but Naomi has a problem. She has a, a situation here. It's a very tragic situation. And she can't see God's providence. Let's continue. Verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters in the law, daughters-in-law, excuse me, that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited His people in giving them bread. Wherefore she went out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on their way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her daughters-in-law, Go, return each other to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. And she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. We find here that Naomi says, you know what, go back to your family. Go back to where you're from. You don't need to be with me anymore. I'm going to travel back to Bethlehem and Judah, and you go back to Moab. You go with your family, the people that you are from. Go back. What is their response? And they said unto her, surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters. Go your way. For I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight and, and should have 
should bear sons? Would you tarry? Would you wait for them until they were grown? Would you stay for them for having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Naomi has this attitude, woe is me. If I was to be here, you guys need to go back to your home and I'll go back to my home. You leave me and go take care of your own. I appreciate all that you've done, but go ahead and go back. And they said, no, we're going to stay with you. Naomi says, why? If for some miracle, for some reason, I was to have another uh, husband and get pregnant and have a child, would you wait? Would you tarry along and wait for that man to be, or that child to raise up to be old enough to marry, then to have sons to carry on the, the lineage of the name, the name of Elimelech? Would you do that? Would you wait? Would you tarry along? Go back. The Lord has gone out against me. And I think about people in this life, people that we've experienced and talked to, maybe we've experienced ourselves, we feel like that the Lord has gone against us. And I've talked to individuals, individuals that have stood up here and said, I have felt alone. I have felt that God wasn't near me. And they're in this dark spot in life. And we've been there. Maybe not in that exact moment or in that exact same situation. Maybe it's been a different situation. But there are dark moments in life. And here I can kind of sympathize with Naomi. She lost her husband. She lost her two sons. She's in a foreign land with strange daughters, meaning daughters from another land, not her homeland. She's lost. Just when things couldn't get worse, her sons die in a foreign land. The whole reason why they left was for food. There was lack of food. There was a famine in the land. They couldn't provide. They couldn't make ends meet. And they left. And I think about that for us. How sometimes we make decisions, or sometimes things happen in our life, and we, we fail to realize God's providence. We don't see the positivity in life, and we don't see that God has a plan for us. Now, I'm so thankful that I go to a church that I can lean on. Because there's been things in my life that I have not realized I needed a church for to get through those things. There's sometimes that situations happen that. It blows my mind the kind of people we have here at College Park or in the church worldwide. There are situations that happen in my life that I couldn't have gone through that as successfully as without having you by my side. And I think of Naomi here and I think about the grief that she has and if only she realized the power that God has in people like Ruth. Let's continue on. Ruth Ruth responds to Naomi. Naomi says, Behold, your sister-in-law, Orpah, she decided to go back to mom and dad. She said, Behold, your sister-in-law, gone back to her people under her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, thy God, my God. Where thou diest will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if I ought but death, part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfast and minded to go with her, then she left, speaking unto her. I, I, reading this story, I kind of enjoyed those words that wrote Ruth, in Ruth's response. It was somewhat of a vow to Naomi. She said, where you go, I'll go. Your people, my people. Your God is my God. She believed in the power of God. She spent 10 years with those sons. I imagine those 10 years she spent there learning of their traditions, learning back about their homeland, learning about their history. I imagine 10 years with those sons. I imagine they talked about what home was like before the famine. And here she says, Naomi, I'm going to be with you every step of the way. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to follow you. Your people are my people. I, this is my family. Your God is my God. That was her response. 
Why? Why did she do that? She was committed to God and to Naomi's people. Now I think of that and I think about a parallel to us. You know, sometimes tragedy strikes in our own lives and we can't see the the goodness of God sometimes or we can't see the providence of God through the negativity. But when a friend comes to help and lifts the burden off your shoulder just a little bit, drops off breakfast, drops off food, groceries, the small things, the things you're not really thinking of during tragedy... And this woman here, Ruth, is standing in her next to her mother-in-law saying, I'm here for you. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to be with you and your people and your God. I'm committed. That's a vow. That's love. She's just a strange woman. And I get that we don't really fully comprehend what that means. But God's people were not to marry outside of God's people. They were supposed to be with their people. Not to marry strange women from a strange land. People outside of their culture. They weren't allowed to do that. They weren't supposed to do that. But Ruth sent to Naomi through the providence of God says, I'm going to be with you every step of the way. Where you go, I go. I just find that interesting about the character of Ruth. Continuing our text. So they went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them and they said, is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and the Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. So they come back to Bethlehem, which is in Judah, and people recognize Naomi and say, look, this is Naomi. And Naomi says, no, I'm, I'm Mara, which is bitter. Just because the Lord has done bitterly with me. She begins to blame God what has happened to her. She said, look, the Lord uh, provided me. I was full, and now I'm empty. The Lord has taken away. And I imagine she's standing there in front of these people, Ruth by her side, and she said, look, I left this land full and I came back empty. Ruth is standing there saying, I just committed myself to you. I just said I was going to be with you the whole way. What do you think Ruth felt like at that time? You know, you don't always pick your your in-laws. You don't always pick those relationships, right? I'm very blessed and fortunate that I have in-laws that I love very dearly. But not everybody has that. And Ruth is standing here saying, you know what? She thinks she's empty. She thinks that this is just about her. The Lord's afflicted her. And sometimes when we're going through agony, when we're going through tragedy, we fail to realize the relationships and the blessing that come from relationships around us. We fail to see it sometimes. And I can sympathize. I try to understand really what Naomi's going through because she lost her husband. She lost her two sons. The name of the family can't be carried on. That was was super important for those people back in that time. And there were laws governing what to do. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But the, the name of your family to be passed down through your sons was super important in the Israelite culture. And she's given up. She can't see the blessing of Ruth by her side. And for you and I today, we need to recognize the blessings of our people that are beside us. Our spouse, our church, our pastors, our deacons, our family. We need to recognize those blessings. 
You know, when I think of Naomi and the situation that she's in, her husband dies, and I imagine she feels like, man, the world is coming to an end. I really try to sympathize with that. And then when things couldn't get worse, her sons die. Have you ever been in a situation where it was bad and then you didn't think things could get worse and it got worse? I can think back in 2017, one of the hardest years of my life. Graduated college, thought it was going to go good, right? Harvey hits. Family member wants to commit suicide. Dad dies. Paul dies. What a tough year. We had family move in with us. Not that that was hard. Not that that was easy. Not that that was difficult. Not that we didn't love and really want to help. It was a tough year for Michael and Anna. And I don't say that to you for you to feel bad by any means. But when things I thought were tough, it only got worse. Harvey hit. Family moved in. Family issues. Dad dies. The church stepped in every step of the way. We finished off the year with Nevaeh being born. The highlight of that year. Sometimes when we don't realize the relationships we have with each other, we can't see the blessing of God working through us and our people. Sometimes when we don't see God working, sometimes we don't feel God working, but He's working. And it's hard for us to see God's providence in the negativity because we're so focused on the negativity. God's always working. Do you believe He's alive today? Because He will work. And He does work. You've got to let Him work. He knocks. You've got to answer. You have to respond. You have to love. And I think about that. I think about that when I read the story. That Naomi needs to respond. She needs to recognize the blessings that are around her. Because there is more hope. Why did she leave? Why did her family leave the land? Famine, right? Guess what? She comes back in the time of the barley harvest. She's full. Her needs are going to be met. And she's about to see it. Ruth chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says, And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech. And his name was Boaz. The Ruth, and Ruth, a Moabitess, said unto Naomi, let, us, let me now go into the field and glean ears of corn after him, in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was a kindred of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz from Bethlehem said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless thee. Then Boaz sent unto his servant that was over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant was set over, and the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish woman, or damsel, that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from morning until now, and she tarried a little, a little in the house. Then Boaz went unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, and abide here fast by my maidens. So what happens here is, we're reading this in narration. There's a mighty man of wealth, a man named Boaz, a kindred of Elimelech, a family member. We know that. As readers, we see that. Then Naomi, or excuse me, then Ruth goes to this field just to glean of the harvest. She doesn't know that this is her family member. She's just going to a field to glean in this field. We know that because we can read it. But she's not hearing some narrator tell her to go to this field that it's her family member. She's not seeing that. She doesn't understand that. So she goes to this random field at this random time to glean the, the harvest. I didn't understand what gleaning was. 
were from the city. I just didn't understand it. So I looked at what gleaning was. Basically, gleaning is uh, harvesting which, that which was left in the field. And I was like, okay, well, why? Why would someone, as a business mindset, why would someone leave harvest? That's money. That's, you know, whatever. Uh, so I got to looking into it. There's an old law about gleaning. I don't know if you know this, but I didn't, so I'd like to share with you with that. Leviticus chapter 19 says, And when you reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field, neither shalt thou gather of the gleanings of thy harvest. Thou shalt not glean thy vineyard, neither shalt thou gather every grape of the vineyard. Thou shalt leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord thy God. Deuteronomy chapter 24, 19 says, When thou cuttest down thine harvest in thy field, and hast forgotten a sheaf in the field, thou shalt not go again to fetch it, for it shall be for a stranger, for the fatherless, for the widow, who is a widow? Who was, who, it's for orphans. It's for widows. It's for people that don't have money. That the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thy hands. When thou beatest thine olive tree, thou shalt not go over the, the bows again. It shall be for the stranger, for the followers, and for the widow. When thou gatherest the grapes of the vineyard, thou shalt not glean afterward. It shall be for the stranger, for the followers, and for the widow. So basically, when you go for harvest, you are to leave some of it behind intentionally, on purpose, so that poor people, widows, orphans can go back and, and, and be fed and be taken care of. It was their welfare system, if you will. They were supposed to leave some for other people. So we find this man, Boaz, has this field and he's leaving some. He has the expense of leaving part of his harvest, whether he's selling the harvest, whether he's maintaining his people, or whatever he's doing with it. He has invested in this law that says you must leave part of your harvest. So he has not only that financial commitment, he also has the individuals overseeing the people that are gleaning the widows, the poor people, the, the fatherless, the, the orphans. He has hired servants to oversee those people gleaning. So he has this extra added expense. Boaz is a good man. He's a wealthy man. He's a good man. And he's a brother of Elimelech, part of that kinsman, that kinship. That's important. That's going to be important here when we get to the fourth chapter. And so this... This was interesting to me because I did not know that. There's the 613 laws. I don't know that I've read every one of them or really fully understand all of them. I don't think the people then really fully understood it because they didn't do half of them anyway. But uh, so here we just, we see that they're gleaning. It was intentional. We know the character, at least somewhat of a glimpse of Boaz. He's a good man. He's following the law. Not only is he following the law, he's paying extra to make sure that there's oversight of this gleaning process. What a good man that is. And he allows people to come on his property and to glean of the harvest. Well, Ruth just happens to come to his part of the land and she is gleaning on his. He reaches out to her and says, listen, don't go anywhere else. We'll take care of you here. We'll provide for you. We'll protect you. I'll instruct the young men and everyone to leave you alone. You just stay here with my maidens. Ruth chapter 2, verse 9 says, Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go after them. And I have not charged young men that they shall not touch thee. And when thou art thirst, go into the vessels and drink of that which young men have drawn. She then fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said, Why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been showed to me all that thou hast done to my mother-in-law since the death of thine husband. And all this, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother and land of nativity and art come unto a people which thou knewest, here, knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work and full reward be given of thee, the Lord of God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for thou hast comforted me. 
For thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, and though I be not like one of thy handmaidens. So, she falls on her face, so thankful, so appreciative of what Boaz is doing for her, to provide for her, to give her a part of his land, his harvest, his work. She falls on her face, very appreciative of what he's done. Now, it's important to note that this man, Boaz, is part of the clan of Elimelech. This is a brother. This is a family member. And the reason why it comes to that is because we're going to have another, uh, another law that comes into effect, the Levite marriage law. And that's going to be important for us here in a minute. But it's important to note that Elimelech's name is brought up several times when talking about Boaz. Because he's a family member. And when Boaz reaches out to Ruth, he says, you come stay here. Ruth is so thankful. Why? I'm from a strange land. You don't know who I am. You don't know where I'm from. You don't know what I've done. You don't know who my family is. He said, it's been told to me. I know exactly what has happened. I know where you're from. And God gave Boaz a a field so that Ruth could ultimately be in that field gleaning. Um, When I looked at the Moabite people, where did they come from? You know, we have Canaanites, Moabites, Ammonites, all these ites all over the Bible, right? Well, when we're dealing with Moabites, and I want to know who Ruth was, where she came from, that, where that started. If you go remember back in your Old Testament history, if you remember um, Lot, Abraham and Lot, they divided, they separated. Lot went towards Sodom to pitch his tent. His family was there. Two angels were sent to Lot. Lot was told that God's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. You need to leave. You need to flee. But when we do that, don't look back. Don't turn around. They leave. Guess what? Lot turned, Lot's wife turned around. She turned into a pillar of salt. Right? Remember that? There's an, a sequence of events that happens in Genesis chapter 19, verse 30 through 38. I'll let you read that for, for your own sake. But basically, the daughters go in unto Lot. The daughters of Lot go in unto Lot, and they have children. The firstborn bear a son, and his name is Moab, the same as the father of the Moabites unto this day. And the younger also bear a son, Benami, the same as the father of children of Ammon unto this day. This is where we get those people. The Moabite people is from descendants of Lot. And, their, and his daughters. That's where that comes from, okay? So this history of the Moabites, they're, they're constantly against the Israelites because they're the chosen people of God. And they're constantly going against God's people. We can find that when we get all, in the Old Testament, when we look at the kings, how the kings often fought the Moabites. There's times in there the Moabite people would challenge the Israelite people. This constant battling with family members, really, descendants of family members, and, and Ruth is sitting here saying, I'm a Moabite. I'm an enemy. I'm a foreigner. I'm a stranger in this land. Why are you helping me? Why? He, she didn't understand it. She didn't get it. And he said, you know what? It's because you took care of your own. You know, tragedy happened. Yeah, you lost your husband. You lost your father-in-law. You lost your brother-in-law. But you came out here, you're working. Working not only for yourself. You're working for your mother-in-law that you didn't have to stay with. You could have gone back to the stranger land, back to your homeland, and took care of your own. But no, you stood by your mother-in-law's side. It's been well reported of me, is what he says. It has been fully showed to me what you have done, Ruth. And I think that speaks to Ruth and her heart and her uh, character. And then I also think it speaks to Boaz, what kind of person he is. He sees this person working hard. And I want us to, to relate to that in the sense that sometimes we want help, but we don't want it more than the person that's helping us wants it more for us. Meaning, 
Someone comes to you and says, I need help. I, need, I have this issue. I, I just really need help. Well, a lot of times the person that wants to help you wants to help you more than you want help yourself. That's sometimes the situation. And here Boaz is saying, I want to help you. But guess what? Well, guess what Ruth did? She got up and she worked. She gleaned in the field and she was recognized for working. Then Boaz stepped in, right? I think that's important for us to know. If we want to reach out and we want to help, guess what? We need to be working. And when we work, other people will more be obligated, more be, will be more willing to reach out and to help you. And I think we can see that here in Ruth. The character of Ruth. And Boaz reacted to her character. She just stumbled upon his property. I think that leads to God's providential care again. You know, we can look at it in negativity, but... Ruth is just going to this property and she's working and this man finds her and she happens to be, this man happens to be Elimelech's clan. It's all working for a reason. All stirring about. So we get to the Leverite marriage law. We're going to get step into the fourth chapter of Ruth. And this whole time up into the fourth chapter, Boaz is taking care of Ruth and Naomi, providing a place of shelter, providing them food, providing them opportunity to glean the field constantly. Boaz is just a good, good dude. He is a good man. And he is just helping this family. But then we have this Leverite marriage law. And I want to show you the law first, and then I want to show you what's happening in Ruth. So in Deuteronomy chapter 4, 24, verse 5, it says, If brethren dwell together and then one of them die and have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in unto her and take to him to wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother unto her. Basically, if two brothers, there are two brothers, one of them gets married, right? So we have a married brother, we have an unmarried brother. The married brother dies. The unmarried brother has an obligation to his dead brother wife to take her on as a wife to carry on or pass on the lineage of his dead brother right that's what this leverite marriage law is now let's read ruth chapter 4 verse 1 then went boaz up to the gate and sat him down there this him is an individual that is unnamed we don't know who he is but we do know that he's a member of the elimelech elimelech clan another brother of elimelech and he sat him down there, and behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by, unto whom he said, Ho, such a one, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down, and he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit ye down here. And they sat down, and he said unto the kinsman Naomi, This is come out again of the country of Moab, selleth a parcel of land, which was our brother's Elimelech. So Boaz saying, Come here, sir, uh, family member. We're both Elimelech's clan. You sit down. Naomi has a parcel of land. She has an inheritance. Based off the old law, you are inheriting this inheritance from Naomi. All that she has, right? That's what he's saying. And he said, I thought, verse 4, and I thought to advertise thee, saying, buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is none to redeem it beside you, and after you, me. So if, Boaz, if this man does not take the inheritance, doesn't make this transaction, doesn't make this purchase, then it goes down to Boaz because he's still clan of the Elimelech family. He's still a brother of Elimelech. And based on the Leverite marriage, it goes down in succession. It only gave us an example of two brothers. 
and what happens with two brothers. But if there's more brothers, this is where this comes into play. So he says, if you won't take it, tell me, and I will take it. So this man, let's see, where are we? If thou will redeem it, redeem it. But if thou will not redeem it, tell me that I may know, for there is none to redeem it beside thee, and after, and I am after thee. And he said, this man said, I will redeem it. I will accept this inheritance. So now he is going to receive everything that Naomi had, right? Then said Boaz, he follows it up with a precursor, what, what day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it myself, lest I mar, meaning destroy, make null and void, mine own inheritance. He says, Boaz, redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing or exchanging. For to confirm all things, a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor, and this was a testimony in Israel. Therefore the kinsman sent unto Boaz, buy it for thee, so he drew off his shoe. When I first read this, I'm like, man, we're trading inheritances, and we're taking off each other's shoes, and I just didn't know what was going on. That's what led me to the, the Leverite marriage law. One, they gathered the elders of the city together, and if this man was to make this transaction, this man was to make this acceptance of this inheritance, what he would do is he would loose his shoe I don't know the symbolism of that, but I just throwing an idea out there. When God said, come into my land, I'll take your shoes off, I will tri- I'll, I'll step foot on God's land. There's a parallel a little bit there. I think of just the simplicity of respect. When, a man, when you walk into someone's house, you what? You take off your shoes. Unless you're at my house because we have a dog. You don't take off your shoes. But generally speaking, you take off your shoes when you walk into somebody's house, right? It's a sign of respect. I think that has a little bit of play here, but I don't really know. That's just a supposition or just an idea. But it's interesting. They're like, okay, we're going to make this transaction. Here's my shoe, <laughs> whatever that, that is. But that was the Leverite marriage law. I found that very interesting because when I read Ruth, I didn't know what was really was going on. So, um, so we have this Leverite marriage. We have this Boaz sitting, this brother down of Elimelech, and he says, here's the inheritance. The guy says, I'll take it. And then he's like, oh, but wait, there's more. You also get Ruth to carry on the inheritance, carry on the lineage of Elimelech. He says, oh, wait, well, I don't want to make my inheritance, my current inheritance, null and void. Therefore, I cannot accept. So Boaz, you accept it. And so Boaz does. He gathers the elders of the city together, gathers the people together and says, listen, I'm going to make this transaction. He takes off a shoe per the Leverite marriage law. There's a couple of things about Boaz that I find interesting. One, he cares about Ruth. He cares about Naomi. One, he provided them a land, happenstance, God's providence, whatever we may call it, there was opportunity there. But then he also went further and said, listen, let me take care of you. He sent food. He provided shelter. He didn't have to do that to these people. But then here he's, he's sitting here saying, you know what? Let's find you the suitor per the law that you are supposed to have. And he sits this man down. He cares about Ruth and he cares about Naomi. I just find that interesting in the character of Boaz. But then he follows it up with, if you don't want her, I'll take her. You know? So there's this, already this, this connection with Ruth and Boaz. Continue on our story. Verse 9. And Boaz said unto the elders and all the people, Your witness is this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and all Maon's of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. 
and the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren, and from the gate of the place you are a witness this day. Remember the character of Boaz. He was a man that not only followed the law of gleaning that we read in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, but he's also a man that's going to follow this old law of Leverite marriage. He says, look guys, I have taken on this wife, taken on this individual, Ruth, to be my wife for what? To raise up the dead in the inheritance. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to marry this woman so that the lineage or the name of Elimelech will be continued. He's going to fulfill that law or he's going to complete his part in serving God in that law. And all the people were in the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. The Lord make that woman that is coming to thy house like Rachel and Leah, which, did two, which too did build the house of Israel and do that worthy lead Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. And let thy house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bare unto Judah of the seed which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. I think one thing when we look at this is, uh, another thing to look at is, Boaz is thinking about other people. And when we talk about marriage, we talk about entering in marriage with someone that we love and we care about, a lot of times we see in our culture today, it's about us. It's about me loving this individual. And I think it's interesting to note that Boaz wasn't just thinking about Ruth and having a wife. He didn't gather the elders together and say, listen, we'll see y'all later. We're going to go live life. He said, listen, we're going to do what's right. And we're going to follow the law. And we're going to have children so that we raise up the dead in their inheritance. That we honor the dead in that inheritance. We continue the lineage, the the history, the name continues to be written down in the Israel uh, culture. And I think that just speaks to who Boaz is, the kind of man he is, a a rule follower, a man that honors God, that lives up to that standard. And I want us to be like that. When we're fathers and mothers and husbands, or husbands and wives, then fathers and mothers, that we live life making decisions that follows the law, follows the Word of God. That we raise up our families, our children. We're examples to one another here at church. That we're like Boaz. We're like Ruth, wanting to serve other people. She served her mother-in-law. He served them. And he didn't have to. He did his serving by allowing them opportunity to, to glean in their field, or in his field. He brings comfort, aid, and protection to Naomi. But it's also important to note that he gathered the elders together and did it and fulfilled the law as he was asked. And I think about weddings and I think about this gathering, this, this, this situation we have when Boaz gets Ruth ultimately through this, what I would call a transaction. I'm really not trying to make Ruth and Naomi and the inheritance sound like a possession by any means. But in this culture, it was a transaction. That's what it was. We don't understand that fully because we don't have that in our culture today. But it really was a transaction. It was an inheritance. It was the acceptance of, I'm giving you this woman to be your wife. Today, a woman chooses to marry a man, and a man chooses to marry a woman in America. Because there are other countries that don't have that necessarily. But when I think about weddings, and I think about marriages, weddings and marriages are different. Weddings are the event of what marriage is supposed to be. Weddings are things that we chalk up in our culture that we spend thousands of dollars and thousands of, or a lot of money at something that when we look at it in the big scheme of things, does it matter of having that grandioso thing of, of a wedding? You buy a dress for one day, you rent a text to return it, you, you do your hair that you, and you'll never do your hair like that again. 
People often look at venues and churches. They'll spend so much time looking for a church for one day, but they won't spend time looking for a church for the rest of their life. They'll spend so much money on one day, but they won't spend their money and give it to somebody in poor or in need or across the world preaching the gospel. They'll spend so much time investing in what's, what they want for that one day. They tell the pastor, you stand here, you say this, and you do that. But they won't go through pre-marriage counseling. and They won't do what's right by their marriage. They're worried about the wedding, the one day that really doesn't mean a lot. The marriage means more than the wedding. And it's about how you approach that. And I think about that. We, we, I, I remember, I'm not big into weddings in the sense that I just love them. The royal wedding. And I see a lot of women smiling. And some men. The royal wedding. Thousands of, I looked it up, hundreds of thousands of people bought, purchased tickets to go see the royal dress, not even on a human being. It was on a mannequin or a hanger thing. They paid money to go see that. Thousands of people left work or signed off of work or clocked out or did whatever to log in to watch the royal wedding. We've got a wedding issue because it's not about the wedding, guys. It's about the marriage. And I think we're going to see that here. Let's, le- let's read in Ruth 4. So Boaz took Ruth and she was his wife. There's your wedding. It's done, it's gone. Guess what? That's just the half. For, that's the first half. Let's read the second half. And when he went under her, the Lord gave her conception. She bare a son. Now she's pregnant and she had a son. There's nine months plus in at one verse. And the woman said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that thy name may be famous in Israel, and he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nurturer of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons hath borne him. You know, these women recognize the fact that the Lord blessed Naomi. I find that interesting. Remember, Naomi said, I have returned here. When I I left, I was full. When I came back, I was empty, even though she had Ruth. And guess what? God's providence showed even through the negativity, didn't it? Because look, God has given her a son. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and began to nurse it. And the woman and the women her neighbors gave it a name saying there is a son, a son born to Naomi and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Naomi, remember she changed her name. She wasn't named the child. They were not going to let her name this child. Named it Obed. His, mean, his name means worship. Find that ironic. Because this whole time Naomi's oh, self-pity, woe is me attitude. And here she is. God blesses her the negativity, God's providence sometimes shows negative, it looks negative, but it comes out positive, and God blesses who with a son? Naomi. And as I thought about this, I thought about children. Children are an aspect of life or aspect of marriage that's super important. Especially in this time. We, remember, we talked about the name, the lineage, the, the family name being passed down through the children. How important is that? They saw it super important. And they thought, and, and, and so when Naomi was like, woe is me attitude, she didn't have a child to pass down the name. She recognized that. And she had this attitude, but God was working. And you and I have to remember, when we can't see it, God has a plan. And sometimes our sight isn't His vision. 
And we have a hard time seeing that, have a hard time recom- or, uh, considering that, recognizing that. And I think that children are a big part of marriage because they make you a better husband, make you a better wife. And I know they don't talk about uh, children a whole lot in marriage, but in a marriage, children are important. And you can see that here, how important it was for Boaz to follow the law, to have Ruth, and to give Naomi a son. But I also want to talk about for a moment the fact that, you know, Ruth, with her first husband, she was infertile. For 10 years, 10 years she was with her husband, right? Elimelech has died. Who has the family name? The two sons. They were in Moab for 10 years, never had a son. Not one. You would think, one would think, Elimelech dies. Okay, we've got to pass on the family name. And half a verse, one becomes pregnant and has a child. But for 10 years, no children. Interesting. And I got to thinking, you know, Naomi was blessed a son or a child to pass on the family name, and it wasn't even from someone from her womb. And I think about that. I think about infertility today. People struggle with that. But I will put the claim before you today, your child doesn't have to come from your womb to be a child. There's a a set of three that are from another country that were brought over here to be adopted by American folks, and those folks said, you are my children, and I'm going to raise you up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I think about other people who were brought here that through God's providence has a father, has a mother, that they never once passed through their, their bodies, still considered a child. You know, I didn't need a, uh, a birth certificate to tell me who my father was. I don't need a, uh, uh, a DNA test to tell me who my father was. I don't even need a last name to tell me who my father was, even though I had his last name. I didn't need all those things. He was still my father. And Naomi, this was still her son. God blessed her with a son to carry on the name of her husband, Elimelech. And we see that ultimately that son is born and who is ultimately the father of Jesse, which is the father of David. And I found that interesting that through Jesus Christ comes, or through, essentially through Ruth, comes the Savior of the world. One of the greatest kings is David, but the greatest king of all is Jesus Christ. Talking about God's providence, Naomi couldn't see past the front of her face. And sometimes in our tragedy, we can't see it either. I promise you, stay faithful to God and He'll be faithful to you. You, you do what he asks you to do, he'll, he'll, he'll reach out to you every single time, every step of the way. You know, we talk about marriage, we talk about children. You know, the wedding gown gets put up, the tux gets returned, the babies come, you pull out the DVD or the VHS or the Blu-ray or the iCloud, whatever you have. And you watch the wedding ceremony, and that's great to watch and all, but all that goes away. The people go home, the flowers get put up, the pastor goes back to pastoring. The, the attendants go back to their walk of life. But what's left is a marriage. It's not a wedding. What's more important than a wedding is a marriage that honors God. A marriage that honors God. Because guess what? When you follow God, you'll have blessings so much that you won't even begin to understand. 
When we talk about marriage and we talk about having children, those children are going to be in your living room one day looking at you, looking at your spouse and how you handle yourself, how you love, how you correct, how you hold back, how you honor God. A lot of this story is not just about Ruth or Boaz. It's about a child. A child that was going to be a grandparent to David who was a descendant of Jesus Christ, or Jesus Christ, the descendant of David. Sometimes it's about the children. And this morning, I just wanted to paint that picture for you. The the study of Ruth has been very interesting. There's a lot of different things. But one thing I just want us to walk away with is one, having some sort of graph of who Ruth was, who Boaz was, maybe some old laws. The last thing is, is none of us want to be alone. We all want companionship one way or another, right? Whether that's a spouse, a church, Boaz provided protection and love to Ruth and Naomi so much. And when tragedy strikes, you and I need a family. And that family is in the house of God. I've talked to some folks who've gone through tragedy that weren't in the church. And I look at it and I'm just like, I don't know how you're going through this right now without a church. I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Because you guys have pulled me out of bowl and water more than I'd like to admit to. And I know that as a congregation, as people who want to honor God, we have to consider Ruth and Boaz and this son and who they were. That church is important. And we have to make decisions to make church important. It's not about a wedding. It's not about all the glitz and glamour. It's not about always agreeing about things. It's about a marriage built upon godly principles and serving God each and every one of our day, each and every day. I hope maybe something this morning has jogged some of your memory, jogged some of your desire to want to serve God. Naomi, Naomi missed it. She missed it big, and then she saw the blessing. Maybe you're missing it this morning. Maybe you're missing that God is working in you now. Maybe you've failed to see it. Because even when you don't feel like He's working, even when you don't see that He's working, know that He is working inside of you.